0: straight talk from Israel you're listening to Israel news talk radio
1: Israel news talk radio straight talk
0: from Israel you're listening to the Jay Shapiro show
1: hello again you're back with Jay Shapiro the uh, state of Israel is now in a crisis that's been going on for several months, one of the biggest or perhaps we could say the worst crises in the 75 years of Israel's existence. It has to do with the government's plan to reduce the power of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has taken over in during the past 20 years has taken over a lot of power which is not in line with the distribution of power that exists in other countries. In America, you have an administrative branch, a legislative branch, a judicial branch. In Israel, you have a legislative branch and the administrative branch is actually part of it. You have a coalition within the Knesset Israeli Congress, which forms a government. So the legislative branch has within it the administrative branch, and opposing that, I shouldn't use the word opposing, opposite that is judicial branch, which over the last 25 or 30 years has taken upon itself a lot of power, which is pretty much out of line with what it should have, Uh, On previous programs, I've discussed the details, they're a little bit complicated. What the government is trying to do now is to reduce the um, amount of power that the judicial branch has. They're going to do it by uh, by changing the uh, format of the committee to choose new judges and other slight changes The bottom line is to reduce the power of the judicial branch, which is not even with the other branches of the government. So it's brought people into the streets with uh, hundreds of thousands of people demonstrating the for and against, and uh, it's really a mess. I uh, live here in Jerusalem, and on Saturday nights, uh, it's very difficult to get home if you come from out of town, because uh, I live not far away from the uh, Knesset and uh, from the prime minister's house. And there are thousands of people in the streets blocking traffic. As I may have mentioned on a previous program, the only positive sign <clears throat> about it is it's a personal one. People are waving Israeli flags and, uh, I have a grandson who imports Israeli flags from China, so he's doing a really good business now. People from both sides of the argument are buying his flag, so he he stands to make money no matter what, which I'm happy for him. However, Israel's electoral system and the political structure have remained mostly unchanged since the founding of the state in 1948. In the early years, Israel did not have the luxury to fully plan and structure its political system. Given the tumultuous tumultuous nature of the immediate wars when the state came into being, and the absorption of millions of immigrants, and these are the big challenges at that time, and the country's uh, attention was directed toward these challenges. As Israel has become, what is truly different now is the question of identity and values. That's what the bottom line now is. Identity and values. We are witnessing a national subtext of democracy versus demography. We're having a debate about what kind of state this country will be, and the notion of a Jewish and democratic state was always assumed to coexist, Jewish and democratic. These were thought to be compatible one with the other, Jewish and democratic. Today, as different camps place greater emphasis on either one of these two dimensions, Without guaranteeing their interdependence, it is clear that these two values, Jewish and democratic, may not be entirely compatible. There are growing communities inside Israel who believe that the Jewish character should be the leading character and even the governing principle of the state. Meanwhile, other communities are cling to the democratic character of the state at the potential expense of marginalizing its Jewish character. The balance between these two is an existential question. The balance between these two, the balance of preserving individual freedom and liberties while enshrining Israel's religious character is a challenge to the very existence of the state. As we, the people are grappling in the streets now with Israel's fragile equilibrium, the arguments and solutions are not as simple or one-dimensional as those of former protest. There's been protests in Israel for years. This, this time it's not as simple. This new wave of protest has encouraged a new phenomenon when a lot of sacred cows, which seldom would have been discussed in the public arena, are now being slaughtered. The sacred cows are being slaughtered. As an example, really a sacred cow is reserve duty and defense of the country, which has till today been an unquestionable value. It's now being challenged. This unprecedented disobedience poses a grave physical danger to the state itself. Our enemies are cheering Israel's dysfunctionality. We, have, we must reconcile the price we are paying now and prepare for the ripple effects and consequences of these new challenges in the near future. There are people now, genuine heroes of the Israeli Defense Forces, who say they're not going to show up for reserve duty because they uh, disagree with the changes in uh, what's happening in the government. And by the way, I, I say as an aside that this, in a sense, uh, uh, reflects a lack of something missing in the Israeli educational system where real military heroes who have a history of defending the country are now saying they won't come to the defense of the country because of political differences. Something is wrong in the educational system of Israel that has brought this about. But that's a subject unto itself. The uh, This unprecedented disobedience, as I said, poses a grave physical danger to Israel. And we have to keep in mind, by the way, we just shortly before the holiday of Passover. We, we, fam, families will gather, uh, it's a traditional, the first night of Passover is traditionally a family holiday. And people uh, read what's called the Haggadah, which is an ancient um, uh, literature, if you will, that we read on these nights and one of the questions we ask how is this night different from all other nights so we will have to answer that we were slaves once they were free which that's the standard answer and now we have to ask ourselves how are these protests different from all other protests so we really have to answer that question in every crisis there's also an opportunity we, we can take a skeptical view of Israel's vitality and its uncertain future, or we can use this moment of crisis to offer hope for Jews inside and also outside of Israel. Jews around the world are looking at us to see what's happening here. Now, the it's interesting, the... A famed historian named Paul Johnson wrote of uh, something he called a terrible problem for the Jews. And he said one of their greatest gifts was the critical faculty. Jews had always had it. It was the source of their rationality. But they were not only critical, they were perhaps, above all, self-critical. Now, Israel essentially embraces this problem. this must be the most self-critical state in history. Every action, every utterance, must be scrutinized, explained, or apologized for. The Israeli Defense Force, which ensures that Israel will be there tomorrow, let alone a decade hence, hosts an army of lawyers that ensure that every action derives its legal basis in self-defense. Israel's Supreme Court, which is among most liberal courts in the world, is open to citizens and non-citizens alike to petition at any time against government action or omission and remarkably bears over 10 years, over 10,000 cases a year, 10,000 cases a year the jewish state israel has created an industry of non-governmental organizations that are obsessively critical of israel's actions or non-actions now this complex situation is compounded by jews in the diaspora who feel the need to criticize the jewish state because it reflects a part of their own identity The Perhaps they wonder if they weren't so self-critical, would they not? Would they still be Jews? But seriously, taken to the extreme, some Jews around the world feel that the need to distance themselves entirely from the Jewish state and to apologize for, to apologize for its existence and its actions, in the false notion that the actions of Jews of Israel as the Jewish state, is the cause of anti-Semitism elsewhere. So now, the proposed judicial reforms in Israel have generated significant and heated debates and deepened divisions among Israelis, and if that isn't schismatic enough, between the diaspora and Israel. Proponents of the reforms argue that they are necessary to address the imbalance of power between the judiciary and the other branches of government. And critics, on the other hand, argue that the changes would undermine the independence of judiciary and weaken democratic institutions. So apparently, both sides are doing what they think is best for the country. This debate has unfortunately exposed fault lines Within Israeli society, it had the potential to undermine the country's social fabric, if not addressed in a manner that promotes unity and understanding. What matters is not whether either or any side is right or wrong, or even that there are shades of gray. Israel is divided, and that's all that counts terribly divided. It is division, the division itself, not the reasons for the division that needs our individual attention, undivided. Israel is splintering for solely bad reasons. There are competing visions of its future that need to be fused together. Political schisms are appearing in the culture, business, and even in a defense established of Israel, establishment, which is dangerous. Jewish factionalism is fighting itself over nuanced interpretations of how to promote or protect a Jewish and democratic state. This instability within Israel is being exploited by Israel's enemies politically and militarily. Now while these Israel fights with itself, an enemy far greater, lethal and more dangerous than the ancient Romans is assembling at the gates. A former national security advisor named Mayor Ben Shabad quotes an analysis from an enemy of Israel in the Lebanese news channel. It says, it is true that Israel enjoys military power and considerable economic strength, but the importance and value of these pale into insignificance in view of the weaknesses and the escalating internal conflict and polarization. That is what a Lebanese newspaper is saying about Israel. It's imperative, therefore, that Israelis recognize the importance of unity and strive to bridge the divides that have emerged as a result of this very vociferous debate now over the last couple of months. Our nation, Israel, must engage in open uh, and honest dialogue where all perspectives are heard and, and respected in order to find a compromise that will strengthen the country's democratic institutions while addressing the concerns of those who advocate for change. But incidentally, the Talmud, a basic Jewish literature, speaks of the importance of unity alongside the value of their diverse perspective among Jews. The Talmud says that two make a court and three make a city. This notion highlights the significance of Jewish community and the importance of unity for a common and strong future. There is power and continuity in a community when it has compromise and unity, and there is weakness when there is division and disagreement. We often forget we are a community, a real community, alongside the important teaching we learn in what's called Pirke Avot, the ethics of the fathers, the, the importance of disagreements for the sake of heaven. Disagreement is valuable if, for the sake of reaching higher truths and understandings, rather than an end game of disunity and hostility. Ultimately, Jewish history is blind. That the, what's happening at the present moment in Jewish politics, Jewish opinions, leaders of governments, these come and go and will be recorded and remembered in a page or two of a very long book of history. What matters the, is the continuity, the success and the prosperity of the Jews as a people. Right now, many believe, including me, Israel is our best bet to ensure our survival, and thus we need to work hard at its survival. We ought to do so for the sake of Israel, and if you really think about it, we really have to do so for the sake of heaven. This is a very serious crisis now here in Israel. As I mentioned a moment ago, I think one of the problems we have is a lot of the people in Israel, because of the lack of proper education, don't really know Jewish history. Uh, the curriculum, uh, curriculum, uh, school systems over the last 70 years, if you check this out, it simply doesn't provide, particularly in the uh, in the secular schools, a real feeling of what it means to have a Jewish state. And that is what we are suffering from now. The crisis in the streets now is based on an educational crisis. And that is something that we don't want to bring about, God forbid, a a, a fall in the structure of the state. When, when people who have served in the Israeli army and are real heroes, when it comes to uh, their service, put their lives on the line, are saying that they won't serve now because of a political situ- situation, something is really missing in the educational system. I'll say more about that later. be back after the break. One minute of Torah.
2: How can we keep a positive attitude at times of uncertainty and difficulty? One method is hinted to in this week's Torah portion of Tzav. Tzav discusses the details of both communal and individual sacrifices offered in the tabernacle and later the temples. One of the sacrifices stands out amongst the rest as the only personal sacrifice which will be reinstated in the times of the final redemption. This is the thanksgiving offering, which was required to be brought up when an individual experienced specific examples of God's protection or help. Even at a time when sin, pain, and all evil will be entirely eradicated from our world, we will still express gratitude to God for all the goodness He does and acknowledge that we are always dependent on Him. Adopting this mode of consciousness now ensures inner peace and fortitude. When we recognize that we are all always dependent on God, and when we seek things to be grateful for, both big and small, we are lifted from the chaos and pain and are able to live an easier, happier life. With your Eintraim of Torah, this is Chava Zikovic.
1: You're back with Jay Shapiro. I have no choice, I think, other than to continue what I guess you could call the battle for Israel's soul. As I mentioned in the previous segment of my program, there are... Um, demonstrators in the streets, hundreds of thousands all over Israel uh, in the last couple of months, and uh, they're taking issue with the, so many changes that the uh, new government wants to make with the power of the court system. And again, uh, as I said before, I don't want to go into details, but the bottom line is that the The court today has a power which is pretty much out of line with the other portions of the government, and the new government that took office two months ago wants to limit that power. It doesn't want to do away with the power of the Supreme Court. It simply wants to limit it. I'm sure a lot of the people who are demonstrating do not know the details of what they're demonstrating about, but that's immaterial. Now, the David Friedman is a former American ambassador to Israel under the Trump administration, and he wrote an article and he spoke on the radio recently, and I'd like to quote some of or paraphrase some of what he said because he it's a, it's important. He's a thinker and he loves Israel and represented the United States here during a a very interesting period when Israel made agreements with a number of Middle Eastern states, and he was involved. So he knows pretty much what's going on in Israel. And as I said, he's an obvious lover of Israel. And he says that the situation in Israel is dire, it requires bu- brutal honesty. The is- issue isn't judicial, which is a very highly complex and technical issue about which most of the country sees a need for some correction. That's something I agree with. As It isn't about democracy, insofar as Israel. Remain a democracy regardless of the outcome of this uh, conflict. If anything, the fight is over the effects of democracy given the democratic and political shifts that have taken place over the past generation. This was bound to happen sooner or later. The judicial reforms are triggering strongly held views over a larger and more fundamental issue, what it means to be a Jewish state. It is at the core how, of how Israelis see themselves, how they see their Jewishness, and this, how they see Israel. Israel's founders were mostly secular, and they saw Judaism as a nationality, a people on the losing end of history, reborn after almost 2,000 years of dispersion. In early days of the state, the Orthodox were a small minority obsessed with rebuilding the great European centers of Jewish learning that were destroyed in the Holocaust. Now, David Ben-Gurion, Israel's first prime minister, gave them the opportunity to do so free of the obligation of military service. In other words, some of the rabbis in B'nai famous rabbis, Ben-Gurion sat down with them and they argued and agreed that the loss of Jewish centers of learning in the diaspora in Europe had to be replaced and therefore there should be people who are full-time students of jewish law and of Talmud for example and these people will be free from army service because their their time would be devoted devoted to to and re-learning jewish law jewish history Talmud and things of that nature. Ben-Gurion agreed. Okay, at that time, the number of people involved in full-time learning was something like 400 people. Now, in the years that followed, both sides performed spectacularly at their chosen task. Secular Israelis, along with some who were religious, created a powerful army magnificent institutions of higher learning, and a robust economy. And the ultra-Orthodox established vote academies of Jewish learning of size and stup- substance that even exceeded the great institutions of Europe that were destroyed during the Second World War. Now, most Israelis recognized the contribution of all Israeli citizens and the importance of both a national defense and Torah learning. And a new demographic emerged, a religious Zionist who studied Jewish texts and served in the army as well, many in an exemplary fashion. My own family, for example, Uh, My sons have served in the army, and my grandsons are served or are serving in the army, even though they were yeshiva students and had a religious education. But serving in the army is important because of the defense of the Jewish state. By the way, two of my grandchildren are right at this moment, one a female, one a male, are both uh, majors in the Israeli army. I always get a kick out of that. I always tell uh, my granddaughter that the highest position, I rose in the Israeli army after I came to live here 53 years ago. I was drafted, and I rose to the position of corporal. Now I have grandchildren who are majors in the army. So over time, two things drifted out of balance. As Israel's voters moved steadily to the right, which they did, the ultra-Orthodox, with many married couples, each having 10 or more children, became a major major demographic and political force, controlling about 15% of Israeli parliament and exerting enormous influence in coalition negotiations. Now, you can argue, as I have, that when these religious parties uh, make agreements to join a coalition, they pretty much look out for themselves. And in order to get them into the coalition, the major parties like the have to give into their demands. Now, Uh, And the secular left community is no longer a majority and shrinking rapidly in relative size and political power. Nonetheless, retain their influence and control through the Israeli Supreme Court. Under the leadership of the Supreme Court Chief Justice Aram Barak, the court's power was reinterpreted to have the ultimate say over the nation's laws, untethered to a constitution or other limiting jurisprudence. Israel does not have a constitution. And over the last 25 or 30 years, as I've mentioned before, Aharon Barak, the head of the Supreme Court, gave the court power out of proportion to the other branches of government. So perhaps the greatest sign of a serious rift between the secular and religious came when the Israeli government negotiated as a, a resolution with the ultra-Orthodox community for limited exemptions from military service, which was, at the time, a practical solution endorsed by many people in the military, as I mentioned. However, that settlement was rejected by the Israeli Supreme Court in 2017. Recognizing the centrality of dispute, to Israel's founding, the justice named Miriam Naor said, and I quote, The history of the societal controversy reflects the history of the state of Israel. And with that decision, many in the Orthodox community lost faith in the judicial process. They felt that the judicial process was opposed to them. So here we are today with the Israeli nation divided as never before, unfortunately. People speak openly about the risk of a civil war, while others recount how internal hatred within the Jewish community was the cause of the destruction of the Second Temple and the dispersion of Jews to foreign lands in the year 70 of the Common Era. And many note, As Israel approaches its 75th anniversary in a couple months, that it has exceeded by only two years, the longest prior period in which the Jewish people controlled the entire land of Israel from its capital in Jerusalem. That was the time of David and Solomon in the Bible, and they controlled all of Israel for 73 years. But the uh, it broke up after the reign of Solomon. That's a long time ago. So Israel's enemies across the globe are happy as can be over the weakening of Israeli society. Israel is doing to itself what its enemies had never succeeded doing. So the question is, what do we do now? So the... Uh, David Friedman, as I said, I'm pretty much quoting uh, what he wrote, and he said, To all my friends in Israel, right, center, and left, religious and secular, the first thing I need to say is that I love you all. The state of Israel which you have created has stained me and countless other Jews in the diaspora for generations. The existence of the state of Israel, for many, many reasons, is important for Jews in the diaspora. A lot of people, according to David Friedman, see no future in Judaism without Israel. And Whether you realize it or not, they are all deeply invested in ways far more important than financially in Israel's future. Israel has done much for the diaspora for Jewish communities around the world. Now, according to Friedman, it's time for Israel to learn something from the Jewish diaspora. And he said the following, We in the diaspora see the value of all Israel's citizens. We think that the Israel defense force is holy. It is not only one of the most powerful in the world, but one of the most moral armies on earth. A Jew risking his life in the military, defending the Jewish state, even an entirely secular Jew, is performing a great, what is called a mitzvah. He's doing something in consort with, with Jewish responsibilities. That mitzvah serving the Israeli army is perhaps equal in magnitude to many, if not all, of the others. And a Jew committing his life to the study of Torah, accepting the poverty and self-sacrifice that accompanies such a choice, is performing another great mitzvah as well. Indeed, the Midrash on the book of Genesis speaks approvingly of the relationship between Jacob's fifth and sixth sons, Issachar and Zebulun, by which Zebulun went to work to provide support for his brother's Torah study. Very famous. These, these two tribes live near each other uh, in the northern part of Israel, and Issachar was really students. They studied Torah, and Zavulin went to primarily fishermen and shipmen who went to other countries and brought back money to help support their brothers. So as David Friedman said, perhaps you and Israel are too close to the trees to see the entire forest. But in the diaspora, we can see the entirety of Israel, and it is a glorious, diverse, proud, and miraculous manifestation of the Jewish people. So we in the diaspora need all in Israel to keep Israeli society together, to keep things from boiling over. To the leaders of Israel, whether in the coalition or the opposition, this is a sacred task. The entire Jewish world is depending upon you not to win your side of the internal conflict, but rather to find a solution in keeping with the dignity dignity and holiness of every Israeli. If either side wins, We all lose, including the Jews in the diaspora. And David Friedman goes on to say, that I understand politics well, having lived in that world for several years. I understand campaign promises and the expectation of one's political base. But in the end... The unity of Israeli society within its diverse population is its greatest asset. Any government that jeopardizes this unity cannot succeed, no matter how much it believes in the righteousness of its cause. There are no dictators and there are no anarchists. There are only Jews trying in good faith to address a highly complex situation as best as they can. And he concludes, and I'm quoting David Friedman, a very touching article. He concludes by saying, Please lower the volume. A final thought has to do with there's something underlying here you don't necessarily think about. One of the subtexts of the current political crisis in Israel is the apparent struggle between on one side the Ashkenazi privileged elite hanging on to its final bastion of power, namely the Supreme Court, that is one side, and on the other those who have been the targets Of the courts for decades, principally people we call Mizrachim, Jews from the eastern parts of the Jewish world, from Iraq, from Persia, from North Africa, and also settlers and Haredim, ultra-Orthodox, and those living in the periphery in Israel. This is classic identity politics and it's really very serious. There are, cate- there are leftist privileged elite, and, uh, and on the other hand, there are the common people. And this is part of the struggle we see with the Supreme Court, is the struggle between two parts of Israel, those who are essentially the elite and those who feel they've been suffering because of the power of the elite that that is a subtext subtext to the fight that's going on now. People really don't like to talk about it. I look in the newspapers and see the context of the argument and you very rarely uh see anything about the fact that a struggle between the privileged elite. Their power is primarily in the Supreme Court and the others. That's a subtext of what's happening here. And perhaps there'll be more in the papers and on the radio and television about it. And I'll gather that kind of information for the listeners. So uh, I'll be back after the break. Warning. Take
3: cover. The Jewish Truth Bomb is here. The show that will explode all the false narratives and fake news. Join host Lenny Goldberg each week as he wires the news together and detonates it through biblical verses that will deliver a shockwave that will blow you away. Don't miss it. The Jewish Truth Bomb. Every Monday. Want real answers to the big questions of life? Who am I? Why am I here? How can I find lasting happiness? If God is good, why is the world so bad? Don't miss Soul Talk with Rabbi David Aaron. Revealing, inspiring, empowering. Thursdays on Israel News Talk Radio.
1: Hi, this is Jay Shapiro again. Uh, I am recording this portion of the program on Tuesday the uh, 28th of the month of March. And the reason I'm telling you this uh, date is because of what happened yesterday and I, uh, by the time this program is uh, actually broadcast, other things will have happened but I want to essentially bring the listeners up to date as things are happening. Yesterday Monday, there were all kinds of demonstrations in the city of Jerusalem and other cities in Israel. Uh, I had to meet my wife downtown Jerusalem, uh, a bus trip which generally takes the order of 10 minutes. It took me over an hour to get there because of the demonstrators in the streets. Uh, the same thing was true on the way home. Now, I should say, uh, as far as the demonstrators are concerned, they're generally in a good mood. Myself, uh, I years ago attended all kind of demonstrations, particularly against kicking the Jews out of the uh, Gaza Strip area, and uh, people don't get violent. As a matter of fact, as I may have mentioned previously it's an occasion to get together with your friends from other parts of the country who agree with you politically and you never get a chance to get together and see them. So you go to demonstrations and uh, you get a chance to see your old friends. At any rate, yesterday was a little bit different because yesterday – Arnaud Bard david head of the Histadrut Labor Federation, announced a far-reaching labor strike as part of the opposition to the government's proposed judicial reform. The Histadrut was joined by the nation's health care providers, universities, local governments, and some major business owners including at least least two major shopping malls. Minutes after the declaration, they're going to close the Israel Airports Authority, closed Ben-Gurion Airport to departures, in effect, grinding civilian air traffic to a halt. Now, it's interesting. The head of the labor union, the Hister uh, is the head of an organization has members of all forms, of all political alliances and all kind of political and religious beliefs. And he decided that the uh, Histradut was take these steps to cl- essentially close up parts of the country, despite the fact that many of the members of the would disagree with him. So there was a lot of dictatorship involved. I think, in the closing down of the various government um, uh, authorities. And this brings up uh, something that happened years ago. By the way, one of the things that happened uh, on Monday night was the heads of the Israeli police in Tel Aviv marched and led anti these these protesters on the main highway in Tel Aviv Instead of stopping them and arresting them, the police many the police join them in closing a major highway. And as I said, heads of universities, hospital directors, worker unions are uh, are closing the country uh, because unless the law to neuter the veto power of Supreme Court judges is stopped. Now I want everyone to take a moment and think of what happened, what, uh, th- something that I myself was involved in. Involved in. The, the, back in the year 2005, the right and the religious protested in the streets against the Gaza disengagement and expulsion plan, which, by the way, of course, turned out to be disastrous. Now, at that time, the legal establishment announced that anyone who blocks a road is considered a, tra- a, a traitor according to the law. They arrested 13-year-old teen- teenagers and threw them into jail. I remember this. Uh, and calling for these teenagers to be re-educated. They stopped buses on the roads. They could not even succeed in getting to the protest. I myself was on a bus going to a protest. I think it was in Jerusalem. The police stopped the bus. A policeman came on and removed the keys from the ignition so that the the bus could not be moved. They arrested people who uh, planned to block roads, locked them up for months until after the Gaza explosion was finished. The uh, and the the uh, in other words, they said the protesters and the protest, protest movement was treasonous. Now look at the way that the left today. is is cobbled by the legal establishment and and which is bringing our country to a halt, supported by top officials and emboldened by the media reporting. And it says, you ask yourself an interesting question. Is there any hypocrisy between the two protest, protest movements the one back in 2005, and the one today. Today, more than ever, more people understand that today's protest movement has, uh, it has really nothing, if you think about has nothing to do with judicial, judicial reform, which could be easily debated and negotiated democratically with committee hearings and so forth. What it really has to do, and it's a very basic problem, it has to do with a power struggle to bring down the new right wing government, the first right wing government Israel has ever had. And this the the what this government is trying to do is make what are they see as necessary changes to end the democratic leftist stronghold on Israel. Uh, leaders of the left are literally willing to destroy our country to not lose power. They want to destroy the army, the economy, uh, and not even listen the orders to, uh, um, to attack like the police did in Tel Aviv, and they're even shutting down hospitals. What you have here is action by the anti-democratic political left and their literal turret activities, and they are essentially are attacking right-wing and center-oriented Jews who have been brainwashed by their campaign <coughs> and misinformation. This is a very serious thing one of the most serious things that happened in this country since the country was founded. You have to keep in mind that the legislation on judicial appointments was supposed to be presented for final approval on Monday. It's being held off now, but that legislation was meant to achieve three goals that were set at the start of the promenade of the process the first goal at which obtain broad support ensuring that sitting judges cannot veto the appointment of a new colleague on the bench on their own all who have suggested a compromise in the media have, have agreed that the judicial veto over appointments to the bench should be abolished a democratic country cannot tolerate self-replicating government authority that controls its own membership. That's what the Supreme Court. This is one of does. This is one of the first foundational principles, which is addressed in this legislation. Now, the second principle. Is ensuring that representatives of the people have a meaningful voice in judicial appointments by stopping the unprecedented and unparalleled judicial appointment procedure in which the representatives of the people, including coalition and opposition together, are in the minority and the judges who choose the new judges are in the majority. I know that a lot of this may be somewhat complicated to the listeners who don't know the details but the way it is now new judges are chosen by a committee in which the majority are sitting judges already and they they essentially monopolize who is chosen so the current judicial appointment mechanism enables an unelected legal bloc to appoint all Israeli judges in the lower courts. This is the case even if all the democratically elected officials on the committee claim that the decision is erroneous or that the candidate is not suitable for, for the position because sitting judges on the committee have the majority to choose the new judges the jewish traditional sources teach us that no public servant should be appointed without the public's consent yet today in israel judges can be appointed even if only elected officials oppose their appointment and the idea now is to end this um, Monopoly by the judges to to choose other judges. The the now what they want to propose is that that eight members of the committee that chooses the new judges are from the political branches of the government. So the the bill represents an obligation to govern in the interests of all. Israeli citizens, not simply for the specific interest of the coalition, or but rather that the court chooses now its own members. The 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 elected representatives in this new committee, the elected representatives in the coalition are not the representatives of the prime minister or any other minister. They're representatives of the people democratically elected to their positions. Whatever their ideological uh, affiliation or political agenda, the preferences of the majority on the committee will be expressed in the Supreme Court as well as in the lower courts. And and that's very important. The... uh, the idea is not essentially, it's only part of the bill uh, that's under discussion, that the idea is to keep judges from reproducing themselves. The, what you essentially have is an anti-democratic political left. It would be a leftist coup, coup with literal, the media is not reporting proper properly, the, the the what you see now is that I think the true left has exposed their absolute authority that they want. So now there'll be more support than ever to replace them. It's a slow proc, 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 the process, but the anti-Jewish political left leadership has used essentially its doomsday weapon, and everyone... Everyone uh, appeasing it now will not end their terror campaign. The, uh, the anti-Jewish left leadership won't be able to, uh, to replace them. Uh, everybody involved here, is, they're all good people. The, uh, the, the, the people who want to see the country progress the, it's interesting, you can ask yourself, what good are elections? One thing Israelis are learning today is that elections are meaningless uh, when the right wins. People, Plenty of people today are questioning whether to vote ever, ever again, because the political left will use any means necessary, even the self-destruction of a country, to stop the, right, to stop the despite the election results. Now, obviously, I believe we have to keep on voting until we have the right leadership and make the necessary changes and overcome the absolute duplicity and hypocrisy of the left. That day will come. We are uh, experiencing an extremely difficult moment, moment. The tremendous hypocrisy with. Political left, they—they're uh, being told in the media day in and day out. The media has been screaming about religious coercion for decades, and uh, there's been all kind of anti-Jewish progressive agenda being passed in the country. The—it's—it's uh, a, it's a tough. It Things. There's a very difficult time. There's no. Uh, there's no doubt about it. but I think the the, the bottom line, which I want the uh, listeners to uh, understand, that, as I understand it, that the bill that they're trying to pass in the Knesset now is to take away the absolute power of the court judges to choose who's going to follow them. And the people, the... Uh, a lot of propaganda, and, and as I said, there are strikes all over the country. And I think I really believe that most of the people simply don't understand the issue, the issues that are at stake here. Again, the bottom line is to do away with the absolute power of the Supreme Court. In other countries, take for example the United States, the Supreme Court is one branch of the government chosen, the procedure requires the executive branch to choose the judge, name the judge, and then the legislative branch to approve the judge. And there are obviously cases on record where the executive branch has chosen someone to be a judge and the the, the legislative Branch has not approved it. Some of the cases are very famous by the way but the bottom line is there is a separation of powers that allows each branch of the government to have a certain amount of power but not to have a monopoly on power. The problem in Israel because Israel doesn't have a legislative and, uh, and administrative branch essentially The administrative branch is part of the legislative branch. That's a a problem in and of itself. Uh, I think the solution to that, one of the uh, possible solutions and to reduce the power of the political parties is is to have local elections. What I mean is the way the situation in Israel is today uh, when you go to the uh, to vote for the for the uh, Knesset for the legislative branch, you do not have a local rene- representative for whom you vote. You have to vote for a party list, and uh, each party puts up a number, sometimes up to 120, which corresponds to the number of seats in the Knesset. And a, a party gets the number of members depending on the percentage of the vote that they get. So there are a lot of problems with that, with that system, obvious problems with that system. But the bottom line now and the issue we're facing now is to uh, the, the problem of, uh, of representation, that's, that's a problem unto itself. But the issue now, now being discussed and debated is the strength of the Supreme Court compared to the other uh, branches of the government. And that is the issue by which there are demonstrations and so forth and so on. So apparently what's happening now, there's been an agreement not to push forward the legislation to reduce the power of the Supreme Court until after the Passover, the Pesach holidays. This is a bad time of the year. To go into the streets and demonstrate. This is a holiday time. It's a holy day, holy day time. It's a time that people look forward to all year. It includes the Passover holiday, it includes Memorial Day, it includes Israel Independence Day. And the worst possible thing right now is to have dissension over this period of the year, which is generally a joyous and serious period. I'll be back after the break.
2: You've come to the best station for hot news and sizzling commentary. Atemakshivim Le Israel News Talk Radio.
0: Millions of babies are born each year with severe genetic diseases. Screening methods include amniotic fluid tests that are invasive and not without risk. Other tests may only detect less than 10% of known genetic disorders. An Israeli firm called Identify Genetics is working on technology to provide prenatal screening for genetic disorders. Using a simple blood test from the mother during the first trimester of the pregnancy, proprietary data science algorithms can provide a comprehensive high-resolution view of the fetus's health. The fetus's DNA is then digitally isolated using a computational process. The fetus's DNA is reconstructed at high resolution. Mutations are located and analyzed, resulting in a genetic report that can help doctors identify genetic disorders early in the pregnancy. For more information on the high-tech world today, visit IsraelTechtalk.com. With your INTR Tech Minute, I'm Bob Aiello.
1: You're back with Jay Shapiro. I'm recording this portion of my program on the 29th of March which means that the crisis in the uh, government here which has brought thousands and tens of thousands of people into the streets has not been resolved but as of the news here in Israel this morning Both sides, the government and the opposition, have agreed to sit down together at the home of the president and resolve their differences. The Knesset, the Israeli Congress, is going on vacation this week for the Passover holiday. And then this will be followed by a number of important occasions, annual occasions here in Israel, including Memorial Day, uh, Memorial Day for the Holocaust, Memorial Day for the people in Israel and the soldiers who have lost their lives, and Independence Day. So apparently agreement is that the issue of uh, changing the uh, format of the Supreme Court, which is the major crisis which is causing all the trouble, will not be discussed again until after the holidays, roughly a month from now. And hopefully by that time, the sides will get together and come to some kind of a mock- compromise and this- This will no longer be an issue. So though this particular subject has occupied much of my program and much of the activity here in Israel over the last several weeks, we're going to have a rest from it and go on to other things in time for the Passover holiday. So I want to discuss in this last segment of the program several other issues. First of all, for many years, Israel has enjoyed broad support among political elites and the American public in general. This support is across most demographics and significantly political parties, both Democrats and Republicans among the elites and in also among the mass public expressed sympathy toward Israel, supported military aid to Israel, supported economic aid to Israel, even though they opposed similar aid to other countries, most other countries. They didn't rule out military intervention to safeguard Israel's security, and even believed that the U.S. should be at the forefront of diplomatic support for Israel in international forums. Now, in American politics, this is not a small matter. It's not a trivial matter. The bipartisan political system in the United States encourages division, and it actually encourages polarization, and the uh, divisions expand, as the divisions expand, most more issues take on partisan tones, That's the, these are the facts of life. This was evident with regard to the wars in Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, and it's also evident now with the war in Ukraine, as well as American relations with Eastern Asian countries. Now, what happens is, as soon as one party takes a clear stance on a specific issue, It appears that the other party takes the opposite stance. And this practice strengthens the political compliance of elected officials to the will of the people. It highlights uh, partisan differences, and it creates political rivalry during the election campaigns. That's how things work in the United States. Now, what Israel has been able to do Israel has managed over the years to maintain warm relationships with both the Democrats and the Republicans due to an understanding of the importance of keeping Israel a nonpartisan issue. Contrary to the recent statements by some Knesset members who uh, don't really, they're new in the Knesset, they don't really have adequate global perception, Israel needs American support and needs it to be independent of the partisan affiliation of the U.S. president or of the majority in the Senate or the majority in the House of Representatives. Israel needs bipartisan support. Now, pro-Israel organizations in the United States have also operated in accordance with this view and have taken care to maintain direct relationships and 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 they've given donations to members of Congress on both sides of the political aisle. They, they give both to Democrats and to Republicans. They're very careful to do this. Yeah. Now, in recent years, <clears throat> Mainly during Netanyahu's premiership, the commitment to this interest has somewhat eroded. The prime minister, our prime minister, expressed explicit support for Republican candidates. He scorned U.S. President Barack Obama when he came to pitch both houses of Congress against the nuclear treaty with Iran, Now, the nuclear treaty with Iran was Obama's flagship foreign policy, and our prime minister was invited and spoke to Congress against what the American president did. He hesitated to congratulate President Joe Biden for his election in 2020 when his friend, the outgoing President Donald Trump, Question the election results. Now, in the last 20 years, Israel has acted, or I should say our prime minister has acted in a way that has undermined bipartisan support for Israel. Israel kept expanding settlements despite repeated calls by democratic leaders to halt construction of settlements. Israel agreed to a request by the Trump administration to refuse entry into Israel of a democratic member of Congress. Israel has changed its democratic identity with the enactment of the basic law designating Israel as the nation state of the Jewish people because this, in the eyes of many, has relegated Arabs in, um, Israel's Arab population to the status of second-grade citizens. Now, you can argue about this. Some were in favor, of it, some were not. Israel has repeatedly emphasized Jewish religious elements in the public sphere, thereby clearly violating the freedoms of faith, expression, and, and, and movement. Measures such as these are antithetical to basic democratic values and make cooperation with the United States difficult. Those steps that are taken by Israel are unique to Israel because it is the nation state of the Jewish people. And some of the steps that Israel has taken don't sit well uh, with the members of the American Congress. So, the uh, right now, for example, something which I personally am opposed to, one of the religious parties that's part of the coalition is trying to push through uh, laws to separate men and women in public places. Something which, by the way, I don't think will pass. Something which I personally am opposed to. So, the... Uh, now if we, I'll give you another one which which uh, I, have, I also have a position on they want to call the inspection of, call for the inspection of handbag, handbags upon entering hospitals to ensure that they don't contain leavened foodstuff what's called hummus during prayer so the uh, so the, there are things happening here that are being pushed by the religious parties that don't sit well with the American public or with the American Congress. Now, one of the foundations of the special relationship between Israel and the United States is what we call shared values. When the shared values are in doubt, this relationship between Israel and the United States will suffer. Now, these issues are fixable. But there is a lot, according to some people, that there is a much more worrying process that cannot be easily rectified, and that is the withdrawal, pretty much, of the Democratic Party from its support and sympathy for Israel. A research group called the American Public Opinion toward Israel. It's called APOI. It's based at Reichman University near Tel Aviv. Is tracking trends in the American public since the founding of Israel. Their data clearly shows that over the last 20 years there's been a gradual shift in public opinion regarding Israel from bipartisan support to now what is decidedly partisan support. This trend is evident in polls conducted by Gallup, which consistently asked the American public which side they emphasized with in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Now, the results are very interesting. In 2001, a little more than 20 years ago, around 50% of the American public sympathized with Israel, as opposed to less than 20% who sympathized with the Palestinians. That was 20 years ago. The rest were either unsure, or they expressed similar sympathy toward both sides, or lack of sympathy toward both sides. Now, the last poll conducted in February 2023, uh, last month, the share of respondents who expressed sympathy for Israel remained largely unchanged, which is okay, but 30% expressed sympathy for the Palestinians and only 15% answered that they were unsure. The, the As I said, 20 years ago, uh, 20% were sympathetic with the Palestinians, now 30%. Now, this is a tricky question, obviously. People can express sympathy for the Palestinian for a variety of reasons without diminishing their support for Israel. The Palestinians lack independence, they have no civil rights, they exist in harsh economic and sanitary conditions under their own leadership. Nevertheless, a comparison of the data over the, over this time, 20 years, emphasizes that a change has come in the American mindset. However, Beyond the general shift in public opinion, the political distribution regarding this question is the biggest cause for concern. Why do I say this? Because whereas in 2001, 20 years ago, there was no significant difference between Democrats and Republicans. Today, Half of Democrats expressed sympathy for the Palestinians, while around 40% expressed sympathy for Israel, and 50% for the Palestinians, 40% for Israel. On the other hand, this is also interesting, nearly 80% Of Republicans expressed sympathy for Israel, while only 11 percent expressed sympathy for the Palestinians. In other words, the Democrats have shifted away from their uh, sympathy for Israel, and Republicans have emphasized their sympathy for Israel. The distribution of support among those without party affiliation is more balanced. But the pattern among the Democrats is now in favor of the Palestinians. Now, this shift may have very profound implication. uh, A gentleman named David Mayhew is a congressional scholar from Yale University, Delineated the understanding of the operation of the American political system more than 40 years ago that members of Congress based their action on a single consideration. What do they have to be in favor of in order to get elected or reelected? Now, the American political system underscores this consideration. Frequent elections, like for Congress every two years, that are district-based elections that necessitate direct contact between the representatives and the voters and a division into two parties leads to accentuated differences. The fact that Democrats and Republicans hold clear views with regard to Israel the Democrats now sympathize more with the Palestinians and Republicans more with Israel, pressurizes members of Congress to act in accordance with public opinion. In a sense, it's not even what the uh, congressman himself feels. He wants to know what his voters feel because that's the direction he's going to go. So the... uh, So Democrat members of Congress will find it difficult to express support for Israel, while Republican members of Congress will do as much as they can to emphasize their support of Israel. They're following public opinion to get votes. An election campaign that would highlight the differences between the parties in their attitudes toward Israel would, I think, create considerable polarization, which would be very hard to undo. Now, Israeli leaders, when they go to the states, they have to be accepted in the United States due to their official capacity not to what parties they belong to. However, they should not expect favorable treatment from a democratic administration today. Now, Israelis should get used to the fact that American support for Israel is contingent on the political affiliation of the president and the majority in Congress. These are the facts of life. Several members of the Israeli government uh, went to the States and were not invited to speak, even by a number of Jewish organizations because they didn't uh, agree with their policies here in Israel. I think these Jewish organizations made a mistake because as far they're far from Israel. They don't know what's really happening here on a day-to-day basis, although many, many claim they do. But it's only fair for American leadership, and particularly American Jewish leadership, To hear the members of the Israeli Knesset when they come to the United States, whether they agree with them or not, they have to hear and try to understand their positions. Now, this has not been happening since our new government took office several months ago. This is a very serious problem. So to sum it up, we have two problems here. We have a democratic Democratic Party, which is pro- less pro-Israel than it used to be, and we have a Jewish leadership in the United States, which is not opening to listening to people here in the Israeli Knesset with whom they disagree. These are two pro- problems, one a general problem, and one, I guess, a call it a Jewish problem, but these Jewish leaders will also represent Israel to the American public and to the American Congress. So we have a situation now that is very much more problematical than it's been in the, in the past, in the recent past. So that's sort of a, my bottom-line summary of the situation. Uh, I don't want to be totally neg- negative. I'm just trying to say that things are not as good now in the American public and the American politics for Israel as they were 20 years ago. So let's see how that will be handled. Again, thanks for, my, and for listening. For those who celebrate Passover, happy Passover.
3: Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel, and though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio.
0: Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Darba, Israel, and why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover.